welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. This is Kimmy Nishimoto, hygienist and myofunctional therapist, and my amazing co-host, Megan Van Noy, myofunctional therapist and dental hygienist. Today's topic is functional breathing and the Buteco breathing method. We're here with a very special guest star all the way from Australia. His name is Dr. Dan Hansen. You may have heard of him from the group Myofocus. Dr. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is my name's Dan Hansen. Um, I'm, I'm over here in, in Australia right now. It's our morning time. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really delighted to be, to be invited and, and I'm really happy to be involved as well. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, so like, what do you do? What kind mm-hmm. of a dentist are you? Yeah, like, I, I graduated in dentistry back in 2003, back in the UK, where I'm, where I'm from originally. Um, and um, I actually stopped doing what most people think of as dentistry in 2011. Um, and that sort of coincided with my own health crisis, if you like. Uh, I had uh, pretty bad sleep apnea. Um, I didn't look like I should have sleep apnea. I've always been, I've always looked fairly fit and healthy and, and so on. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I've, uh, as a result of that, that health, health crisis and health journey, I came across the Buteco technique quite skeptically. I tried everything in the, try and help with my sleeping and, and, and snoring and sleep apnea and so on. And when I came across the Buteco method, that was the thing that started to change my life. So um, that's how I got interested in breathing and in, and in particular the Buteco technique. And as a result of my own journey, I became a, a, a practitioner in the Buteco technique as well. Um, I've always been fascinated by breathing. And the thing about the Buteco technique, it's almost like you're breathing less than normal in order to get more oxygen. We'll talk more about that later. But it's kind of opposite to this other kind of breathing that I'm currently training in, which is the Wim Hof method, which is a more of a hyperventilatory breathing more kind of thing. And I went again, I went, I went along to the Wim Hof method workshop skeptically because it's sort of the opposite of Buteco. Um, and, and now I'm there because I had amazing results and felt amazing energy and, um, and so on from, from doing that. So the breath's a very interesting thing. I'm fascinated by it and I'm really looking forward to being able to talk more about it with you guys today. Awesome. Thank you. And, and then what sort of dentistry change did you do? Ah, yeah, thank you. Um, so essentially around that time, just before I became interested in Buteco breathing, I had started doing early interceptive orthodontics, which is basically when the teeth are not coming through properly in young kids. Um, so sort of between about the ages of four and 10 typically, but average age, about age six or seven. Um, and I was doing work jaws and and make room for teeth as they're coming through so that kids could maybe avoid braces and things like that um and i was finding a lot of the time that that my work in those early stages was was relapsing before the teeth had even come through so i started looking at yeah so i started looking at why why that might be and i realized it was to do with um function or, or lack of good function which includes, of course, a lot of things that you guys do with the, which I do as well with the tongue posture and t- swallowing and how the lips and cheeks work and so on. But of course, breathing directly affects tongue posture in the nose breathing mm-hmm. being related to tongue in the roof of the mouth. And so when I sort of learned about this functional side of things, I, I really I started just taking on a few patients. And be- before long, it was a case of either having to turn down these these young patients with these problems um, and, and keep doing the other kind of dentistry than kind of normal dentistry, if you like, fillings, checks, cleans, crowns, whatever. Um, but I, had, I, I basically had to choose, and I, I decided to just, just focus purely on, on this, this functional side of growth of the jaws and how kids breathe and sleep and things like that. And it really changed my life because I, and my career in particular because I realized that I could have a much more profound impact on an individual's growth and their expression of their genetic potential by by helping them to function because when they function, they, they grow normally and they sleep better and they do better in school. And I was getting all these letters from teachers saying, Oh my God, Johnny's now doing well in school. And uh, what have you guys done? Things like that. And, and so I really started to focus on all of this kind of functional side of things. And that's led me down so many other paths as well. 
including the other stuff I do with babies and phrenectomies and things like that to help babies feed better and all kinds of different things. Yeah. That's super cool. And I feel like you're making a huge difference in their life now, but also setting them up for the future. Because as we know, most airway problems are anatomical or functional in, in nature. So that's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, everything's controlled by the nervous system, right? So, so it's basically, um, you know, the, the way we breathe is controlled by the nervous system and the nervous system is responding to all kinds of different things. Um, including the anatomy and including the function and including the environment and um, literally on a, on a second by second basis. So, you know, what, also what we do, like the, so not just the anatomy and the, the function is what I'm interested in, but it's also what created, what created the problem with the anatomy and what created the problem with the function in the first place. It's like kind of going higher upstream. So function, bad function makes bad anatomy, good function makes good anatomy, but what makes bad function and it and it's and that's really what i'm interested in is is what what really it's all very well working on breathing but if we don't work on why the breathing is not so good in the first place we're missing a, a big a big problem much further upstream we're kind of missing the whole waterfall right at the top of the, the stream there which is really our environment um and 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 how and and the health choices that we make and things like that and all that has to be worked on as well in my opinion um, to affect the nervous system, which affects the breathing and the function and everything else. Yeah. Super exciting. What is um, your company down there? You work with MyoFocus, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, my partner there, Dr. Donnie Mandrara, just say hi to him now. Hi, Donnie. Um, yeah. It, we, we set up MyoFocus around about uh, two years ago, just over two years ago. Um, We've both been working separately from one another in a very, very similar way. Um, and one day I called him up about this idea I had for this clinic, which is essentially where we look after babies who need tongue tie treatments with lactation consultants and so on on site in the morning. And in the afternoon, we do myofunctional orthodontics. That was kind of this idea. It was like, let's not do any normal dentistry. Let's just do this in the morning. And in the afternoon after school, the kids can come in and we'll, and we'll work on their function in that way. And the day I phoned him up, he'd actually just had a conversation with his business partner of many years where they decided they were going to go their own separate ways. And uh, literally, he said, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. Three hours ago, my partner told me that we're, we're probably not going to carry on in this way anymore. And um, it's amazing that you're now inviting me to be part of this. So um, if anyone believes in fate, then that was definitely an example of, of, uh, of fate. Um, nonetheless, we set this thing up and... Um, we, I was already doing a lot of lecturing and so on with with other companies and, and, and independently as well. And Donnie and I have decided to then put all of our stuff into seminars and educational things to show people about what we do. So that's what we do at MyoFocus. We do teaching, but also we have a, a big clinic, which is based in Melbourne. Um, and I work here, I live on the Gold Coast, so I, I work here in the Gold Coast also doing um, uh, two days a week, focus purely on, on, on laser phrenectomy. Um, and, and and then the, the myofunctional orthodontic side of thing that's all done in Melbourne, yeah. So, yeah. So, really interesting. But everything I do is is, is all based on in improving function. Um, I'm, I'm working on the causes of why that function is not so good in the first place. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my focus. We just got back from um, from from the US just before all of, all of our COVID nineteen sort of situation got to a point where we couldn't have uh, gatherings anymore. Um, and, um, we just got back from the U S we were in Dallas and we, we saw 60, 60, uh, U S folks, um, over there where we were teaching them about our, our facial myofunctional therapy system, um, which is also kind of interesting and unique in that, um, what we've done there is we've, we've created an algorithm, um, for dysfunction. So an algorithm to, to actually match the dysfunction. So using a combination of letters and numbers, to describe a specific dysfunction that we see in the patient before us. And then we put that algorithm using the letters A, B, C, and D, and the numbers one, two, and three into our laptop. And that generates a pre-written prescription for, for an OMT exercise plan that the patient will then do between now and when they next come back. And when they next come back, we'll, we'll recreate the algorithm. So it's, a, it's an entirely new way of doing it, but all the gurus in OMT, that's kind of what they do in their head anyway. They look at the dysfunction before mm -hmm. them and they, they create a bespoke prescription rather than having a set recipe. Um, 
And Donnie and I were talking about this and we said, well, how can we make this more simple and more effective so we don't have to actually sit there and every time by hand write out this bespoke OMT prescription? And so that's how we came mm -hmm. up with the algorithm process. And there's basically over 200 combinations um, with 200 pre-written prescriptions that we, we give to our attendees, um, but they have to learn how to do the algorithm. So that's kind of an interesting thing too. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Really yeah. cool. Yeah, it took us a lot of time to do. We was literally sitting up late at night writing prescriptions for a long time, but we, we got there eventually and, and, and here we are. And of course we include functional breathing in that algorithm and, and exercises in that alg algorithm as well. Yeah. Genius. That's awesome. Well, hey guys, Megan here. I'm also on our call today with Dan and um, I've actually had the opportunity to take a couple of training courses through Dan. And one was with the Myomunchi Protocols when they did their US tour last spring up in, I was in Seattle, but they and you guys went everywhere. Um, and then also him and then mine and Kimmy's mentor, Sarah Hornsby, as you guys have heard us talk about before, um, they did an online functional breathing course last, gosh, Dan, was it last August? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 And that was, it was a three part series and it was so, so good. It connected so many like dots that I had like been missing as far as like, you know, that, that function piece of being able to breathe and breathe like we're supposed to. So that's why part of why we asked Dan to join us today, because like you are so great at explaining these things that just sometimes like soar over our heads. So, um, Last time we had talked about mouth breathing and we talked about how important nasal breathing is and how to unplug your nose so that way you can breathe through your nose. So today uh, we wanted to talk more about that functional breathing piece. So Dan, would you kind of give us some, just like what is functional breathing? What does it mean? Why do we need to do it? Um, and then kind of how it relates to like what we do as myofunctional therapists. Sure, yeah, thank you. Um... Yeah, functional breathing. Wow, what is functional breathing? That, that it could be a super long conversation, but to, to that thing is a lot of the time it really is made a lot more complex than it than it actually is as well. It's kind of a bit of a bit of a paradox in that sense. But really, what it is is breathing normally for that moment in time, for that particular situation, and for what's happened maybe in the in the past kind of hour or two before that moment in time as well. So that might sound a bit complicated, but essentially the breath responds to our environment literally on a second by second basis. And so according to our current physiological needs, we ought to be breathing in a normal way so that the body is, is, is given the, the gift of the breath and it gets the correct amount of oxygen and has the correct amount of carbon dioxide and all of these things affect the pH in the body and everything else. So if, if, the, body is, if, if the body is breathing functionally, then it means we're breathing normally for that particular situation. So, so what do I mean by that? So if, for example, you're completely at rest and you haven't just eaten and you're completely relaxed and, and life is good for you right now, then if you're an adult, you, you will be breathing around about maybe four to five liters of air per minute at rest. Um, and that's a normal, what we call minute volume. And that will be maybe around about 10 to 12 breaths per minute, depending on what physiology textbook you read. Um, and if you do that at rest, um, and it will be diaphragmatic and it will be quiet, um, there won't be much movement in the chest, the mouth will be closed, it'll be through the nose and so on. Um, and it's quiet and gentle. If you do that at rest, what happens is you end up with a really nice balance between the, the amount of carbon dioxide that's in your blood um, and the amount of uh, oxygen that's in your blood and is, and is being released to the cells and tissues. So if you change that situation, so say for example, everything's good as I just said, but you intentionally decide to hyperventilate. Um, so breathing more, a bigger volume of air, um, what's going to happen then is you're going to release more carbon dioxide into the air around you than what you're taking in. So the amount of carbon dioxide inside your body is going to fall. And as a result of that falling in CO2, you're going to get um, an, an increase in pH in the blood, which affects, um, affects the, uh, the, the way the hemoglobin, which holds on to oxygen, affects the way... Um, the hemoglobin releases oxygen. So essentially, if you breathe more, you get less CO2 and less oxygen 
is able to be released from hemoglobin to the cells and tissues where it's needed. And that's the key. So many people, they just look at a pulse oximeter and they look at how much oxygen is in the blood. That's, it's important to have the right amount of oxygen in the blood, but it's just as important, if not more important, that the oxygen that is in the blood is able to be released effectively. And that's something called the Bohr effect. If anyone wants to look up the Bohr effect, uh, B-O-H-R. Um, and that's how hemoglobin uh, responds to changes in pH. And it's the CO2 that's creating the change in pH in that situation. So what is functional breathing? It's, it's allowing the body to breathe in such a way to help with metabolic requirements at that moment in time. And the reason I keep saying at that moment in time is because, say, for example, you've just had a, someone's just given you some really bad news. Um, you've just heard something that's really triggered you emotionally. Um, it will be very, very normal at that moment in time to take a big, deep breath um, possibly through the mouth um, and um, or, or through the nose, whatever it is, and that will help to regulate your nervous system. So that's normal. I have a question for you as far as the hyperventilating. Yeah. So I'm one of those people that has generalized chronic uh, anxiety, like generalized anxiety mm -hmm. disorder, and I'm very prone to hyperventilating and passing out. Mm. How does that okay. work? With what okay, so first of all, the mechanism of passing out, and this is a, a really beautiful question, and, and it leads into wonderfully about certain types of sleep apnea as well. But, but basically, um, what happens is if we hyperventilate, as I just described, so um, panic attacks, anxiety disorders, and so on, um, essentially, if we hyperventilate, that oxygen is not being released from the hemoglobin correctly. And that so that's not getting to every cell in your body in a, in a way that is, is what the cell wants. The cell wants plenty of oxygen. So if we're talking about the brain here, we're talking about passing out, that's to do with the brain. Um, what we're saying is that the, the, the brain cells are not being well oxygenated because of the hyperventilation, because of the low CO2, so the oxygen is not being released to the brain. And as a result of that, um, your body is very, very good at homeostasis, at basically keeping the checks and balances at play. So basically, if you're hyperventilating too much to a point where if you just kept on doing it on and on and on forever and it, forever and never ever stopped, your whole body's gonna be under oxygenated and eventually, you know, probably one of the first things that will happen is you'll get brain damage. So your body actually has to stop you from hyperventilating. You have to stop hyperventilating if you're hyperventilating for too long or in too much of an intense way. And so one way that the body can, can, can stop you from hyperventilating is to get you to pass out. This is normal homeostasis in the event of an acute hyperventilation like that. And so when you pass out, your breathing will slow down or, or it will stop. Most likely it will just slow down dramatically. And as a result of that, your carbon dioxide will then rise and be restored back to normal or relative normal at which point you will then start breathing normally again and you'll wake up because oxygen will then be released back to your brain. So that's just your body look like it, your body's got you, your body knows what to do. So if something like that happens, the body just goes, okay, we got to, we got to stop breathing or slow down right now. Let's restore that CO2. And if we, and if we take that same, same situation to sleep apnea, and I have goosebumps on the back of my neck every time I think about this, because this is not spoken about enough, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, now, if someone's lying there all night long, completely hyperventilating, which is essentially snoring with the mouth wide open, someone's lying there all night long doing that, the same thing is happening to the, every cell in their body, including their brain cells. It's not being oxygenated. And if we look at a brain under an MRI scan with someone hyperventilating, we can, we can see that. We see the lack of oxygen in the brain. And so... What, what is happening here is in the case of central sleep apnea, which is essentially where the brain just stops the body from attempting to breathe, I think what's happening there is it's just purely homeostasis. If you're breathing like that, you need to stop breathing. Sleep apnea actually has a, a, a profound and beautiful benefit in, in that sense in that you stop breathing, metabolism is still happening because you're still alive and so CO2 is still being formed. And because you're stopping breathing, your CO2 is now being restored. And as a result of your CO2 being restored, any oxygen that you are taking in or that you, you've got to take the oxygen in on the next breath, obviously, but any oxygen, oxygen that's in your body is now going to be released. So if obstructive sleep apnea doesn't happen first, 
to, and, and that's another way of achieving homeostasis, by the way, that like you're still getting homeostasis when the obstruction happens because you're not breathing. But if obstructive sleep apnea does not happen first and you're breathing like that, you have to have central sleep apnea. It's, it's very, very important that you have it. And so now it's, sleep apnea is not a good thing because, of course, it comes as a result of dysfunction. And um, where, while you have it, you're unconscious and yet the, the breath hold ends up being way too long than what's necessary to restore that CO2 but sometimes because you're unconscious and the cardiovascular system has to work like crazy to deal with all of that. And it ends up being really, really bad for health. But nonetheless, it's a kind of homeostasis. It's just that the, the homeostatic systems are having to work as a result of that dysfunction. So it's a really interesting situation, but you kind of need to stop breathing if you're breathing like that. Um, yeah. So sleep apnea is not good. It's just better than well, the alternative. Sleep apnea is, is never good, um, but... If you are going, if, if you have a choice between snoring with a, uh, with a, you know, breathing basically enough volume of air for three people all night long, because instead of breathing maybe four to five liters of air per minute, maybe say you're breathing, let's say like 20 liters of air per minute, because you're snoring like crazy. If you're doing that mm -hmm. all night long, you're probably going to wake up with brain damage because oh. your, your brain is not getting oxygenated. And so... You, if you if you were doing that all night long, you, you, your body would make you stop breathing. Essentially, is what I'm is what I'm getting at, and and I, and I think um, it, it's an interesting one in that it's, it's sleep apnea is not good because it you know it really plays havoc with the cardiovascular system because the heart has to then work harder to try and transport oxygen around the body and everything becomes out of whack. But it, sleep apnea is an important part of the picture if you're dysfunctional breathing. So then. So if we correct the function and we reduce the, the likelihood that the body needs to go there and do these things, we can certainly start reducing our tendency towards sleep apnea. Um, and of course, if sleep apnea is related to a narrow jaw, not enough space for the tongue, and so on and so on, then um, the dysfunctional breathing in the first place is part of the picture as to what created that narrow jaw because the dysfunctional breathing leads to dysfunction in tongue posture and so on and so on and so on. So it's all linked. Um, and I don't, please don't misquote me and say, Dan said sleep apnea is good, but, but it, but it, but <laughs> no, it, you know, it's, no, no, no. yeah, I just it's to like, clarify. here's the thing. Imagine blowing a balloon up for a party. Mm -hmm. Okay. Imagine that blow the balloon up really, really hard and a little bit, a little bit faster than what you normally would. What symptom or gift is your body going to give you at that moment in time? What happens when you blow that balloon up really fast? You get super, super dizzy, dizzy, okay. Every symptom in your body is a gift. It's your body's way of communicating with you to tell you that something's not right, okay? So that dizziness, that's your your brain's way of saying to you, hey, can you please just stop breathing like that right now? Because actually, if you keep breathing like that, I'm being really badly under-oxygenated right now. Um, there's not enough CO2 in the system for me to be oxygenated. So my message to you is to stop breathing like that. Now what happens if you continue to blow that balloon up and you ignore that symptom? What would happen if you, if you ignored the symptom of dizziness and you carried on blowing that balloon up? What, what might happen? You either pass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd pass out. <laughs> yeah. That's homeostasis. That's a beautiful example of homeostasis right there. You pass out. When you pass out, the breathing stops or slows down. CO2 normalizes. And then your brain and the rest of your body can be oxygenated. So... And blowing like that into the balloon, it's, it's very similar to snoring as far as the volume of air that's going in and out of those airways is, 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 uh, is meant. And coming back to your thing around your panic attacks or anxiety and so on, a similar thing is happening. That's kind of why, you, why, you're gonna, why, why a potential for passing out is going to happen there. That's one reason. There could be other reasons related to psychology, which is not my area of expertise. But from a respiratory physiology point of view, that's one of the things that's happening when we have that kind of whole... Um, fight flight situation during the anxiety attack. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of my patients who don't sleep well or, you know, snore or have, you know, some sort of sleep breathing disorder, like I would say 99% of the time they also have anxiety or issues with panic or, you know, those things really manifest themselves when they're awake too. And it's really, it's been kind of an interesting as they get better at nasal breathing 
and their tongue posture in the roof of the mouth. And as we get, you know, further into myofunctional therapy, how much not only are they sleeping better, but their anxiety levels are really improving mm. as well. Yeah, ab- mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, that daytime breathing pattern, or that should I say the nighttime breathing pattern is purely a reflection of a dysfunctional daytime breathing pattern. Um, we, we, you know, it's so we, we, if you have sleep apnea during the night, you have some degree of breathing dysfunction during the day. It's just that because you're unconscious um, and perhaps the mouth drops open, which makes the whole situation worse, the mouth comes open at night, the volume goes up. Um, and then we get into this kind of snowball effect of dysfunctional breathing at nighttime, combined, of course, with the fact that, you know, you, you, we go into REM sleep, which makes all the airways nice and floppy and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so that makes the, the airway more collapsible. So obviously things are, there's a lot of predisposing factors as to why things are worse at night. Um, I mean, even lying down, you will breathe a bigger volume of air potentially than, than, than standing up and, and sitting upright, which is, you know, another interesting one. So there's all these factors that, which is why, by the way, when sometimes people, particularly older people who've got sleep apnea and snoring, that they like to sleep a bit elevated mm-hmm. um, with their head higher because it, it, it stops the, you know, it reduces that tendency for, for higher volumes of breathing. It just feels better. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've gone off track a little bit there, I think, but I, what I, that's right. I was talking about how the air flows through the area in, in REM sleep and the airway is more collapsible. Yeah. But here's a, here's another interesting thing, right? Now, Imagine you guys are trying right now to to to, to create a. Imagine you're actors or act actresses, and you're you're trying to snore. You're, you're acting, and you're trying to create snoring. Okay, how 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 are you going to make that happen? Like, what's the process of 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 making a snore happen? Like, what do you what would you got? Yeah, please. Do you want me please, to? Let, yeah, yeah, please. Act, let's do it. Let's our do actress. It. She's okay. our one. <laughs> I have been. Yeah, let's do it. Like, for this my whole get into pos- get into character. Train you go, you go there, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm Liam yeah. Mason. I'm going to snore. Exhale. That's a good. Yeah, that's good. That that's a really good. Snore. Was, that's really I, good. I felt like you okay. were in the bed next to me, Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, right. So that was a really good snore. Now, what, what would have happened to the speed of the air going through your airways compared to your normal breathing just then in that moment? Was it faster or slower? It was much faster. Oh, it, it was, was way faster. faster. Okay. So what happens yeah. is if think about how a plane takes off, the, the air moves faster over the top of the wing than it does underneath the wing. And we have something called the Venturi effect whereby uh, uh, as air moves faster, it loses pressure and the plane takes off because there's less pressure over the wing than there is underneath the wing. That's basically Venturi effect. And we also have something called the Bernoulli principle. So as air or fluid, so air or liquid, moves faster through a, a tube, imagine a, a, a thin paper straw right now, perhaps, uh, or a garden hose. Um, so imagine as air moves faster through a tube, pressure is lost as well. So let's think about the airway, which is basically a tube, um, and maybe go back to the paper straw. Now imagine a super thin, really cheap and nasty paper straw, okay? You can only get the liquid through that paper straw if you suck the liquid slow enough. If you suck it too fast, what happens to the paper straw? It collapses. It collapses, oh, right? It collapses. That's Bernoulli principle in action. So, so, so basically, if we have air moving through our airway, which is a tube, um, a relatively, relatively flaccid tube, really, um, and obviously there's muscles that help keep it open and all that kind of thing and, and, and so on. Um, but if you have air moving through this tube and, and you have all the predisposing factors to, to sleep apnea, so you've already got breathing dysfunction, which created the poor anatomy in the first place, potentially. You've got not much space in there. You've got a narrow um, space through the airway and you, you, you still have breathing dysfunction and the air starts speeding up as it goes through your airway. It's going to be more collapsible. Um, because you've got a, a loss of mm-hmm. pressure as air moves faster through there. So if you're someone like me who has an extremely narrow airway, like I look at my CT scan, at one point the airway is super narrow. I used to have sleep apnea. The airway has not changed in size, but I don't have sleep apnea now because the way I use my airway is different. And that's because I've 
Yeah. And it, wow. again, this is a bit of a joke. It's tongue in cheek and all that. I hope it's not offensive, but it's, it's, I sometimes say about the airway, it's, it's not what you do with the airway. It's how you use it. That counts. Right. It's a, it's a, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, I'm sorry. This, I'm, Dan. Yeah. This, this is yeah. the month. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm free. I'm free. So, so basically that's the, that's the thing is we've got to use the airway really, really well and effectively. And the way we do that is we breathe normally. So, you know, when someone is snoring, they're breathing the kind of volume of air that they, they, they would be breathing if they were going for a run. Um, and when you go for a run because your muscles are working and you're exercising, you're creating more CO2, which, which is then in the system, which enables hemoglobin to keep releasing oxygen and it's all good and everything else. And you're, you're also upright and awake and your airway is not going to collapse while you're going for a run. Um, but if you're asleep at night and everything's floppy and you're breathing like you're going for a run, you are, you're much more likely to, to collapse that airway, especially, of course, when the jaw then drops back or, or the mouth comes open and the, and the volume goes up even more. So the question then is, well, how do we fix that? And, and, and that's the whole thing about, about the, the Biteco method. Um, what we're doing is we're, um, we're, we're, um, changing the way we're breathing we're using neuroplasticity the ability to change our, our habits or change our responses to some degree in order to to change how we're breathing um so are you guys happy for me to talk a bit about the Biteco method or yeah is that, yeah yeah so yeah. you know as we start talking about functional breathing what like we're like dan said we're gonna touch on kind of two Buteco is one that uh kimmy and i are fairly at least surface level familiar with and um you know i teach some buteco methods with my patients uh so we would love to hear kind of more in depth and just kind of a buteco breathing 101 and maybe give us some like mini exercises that we can try or our listeners can try cool yeah that that, that sounds good okay so yeah so as i said before um I came across the Biteco method because I myself had had uh, sleep apnea and, and various other health challenges that I was dealing with at the time. And um, essentially what a, what a Biteco, a classic Biteco program looks like is uh, there's an initial consultation and then there's there's four consecutive days. So, so I, I train with the Biteco Institute of Breathing and Health and we have very quite strict ways of what we can call Biteco. So when people say, oh, I, I do Biteco or I'm a Biteco trainer, um, I always ask them, well, you know, what, what kind of Buteco are you doing? Because now this term Buteco is, is kind of being used in lots of different scenarios, and, um, which is okay. It's, it's great that people are talking about it. But the Buteco Institute method is a very specific method, and that's the one that I trained in. So the way the Buteco Institute got set up was um, Professor Konstantin Buteco. He was a, a Russian um, physician um, doing PhD, and, and he noticed that people in the hospital ward were um, – were, Generally, um, in, in looking at high, high blood pressure, these people were generally had breathing dysfunction, often mouth open, chest breathing, and so on. And he found that quite interesting, and he decided to look into it. And he did a lot of different measurements and, and, and research and so on. But what he came up with was that he found that people who were over-breathing or habitually hyperventilating, as these patients of his were, they typically had a low CO2 level in their system. And what he postulated was that that low CO2 level was having an impact on so many different things. And in the case of high blood pressure on, on, the, uh, on how the, the arteries were being kept open. So essentially, CO2 is a bronco and vasodilator. It keeps airways and blood vessels open. Um, and, and so if you imagine you've got, uh, imagine you're a, you're a high blood pressure patient, it would kind of be nice if your, if your blood vessels were, were much more wide open and patent because that would reduce the pressure as, as opposed to a constricted blood vessel, which would increase the pressure. So he came up with this method to, to change the way, the way we breathe based on the fact that the main driver of our breathing system is CO2. So essentially what happens is um, CO2 rises after you've breathed. Um, and it's measured in the brain, in the medulla, uh, by capnoreceptors. Um, and as CO2 hits your trigger point to make you breathe, you, you take a breath. It's an, an in-breath followed by an out-breath. And during that out-breath, you are releasing CO2 to the environment, and so your CO2 falls. And then the body waits for CO2 to rise again, and, of course, it rises again almost immediately. 
that's then measured in the brain again and that's what triggers you to breathe now so it's not a lack of oxygen that makes us breathe um, you, you can hold your breath for a very long time um, without oxygen even falling actually you can it, it takes a long breath hold for the oxygen to, to desaturate um, it's actually the co2 rising that triggers our breathing and so the cool thing is that with with training with breathing training um, on, a, on a regular frequent basis we can if someone sorry I'm going to backtrack a little bit so imagine you've got breathing dysfunction if you have breathing dysfunction you have a low tolerance to co2 so maybe you've been stressed all your life whatever or whatever's going on for you, you've been sick or whatever and you've got to this point where now you have breathing dysfunction all of these stress factors that's kind of been poking and prodding your sympathetic nervous system have, have created enough stresses to, to make you kind of be used to breathing too much yeah so you're you're now breathing in this way where um where, where where you're hyperventilating habitually because you have this low co2 tolerance so your brain is constantly saying breathe 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 i need you to breathe a bigger volume get rid of the air get rid of the co2 that's kind of what's happening so by by doing exercises to breathe less air than what we normally breathe what do you think would happen to co2 if we breathe less air than what we normally breathe Maybe a question for Kimmy or, or Megan. Breathe, breathe less, what happens? Yeah. Um, didn't yeah. So, so if, we, if we're sitting there nice and calmly in a nice posture and we're starting to just breathe a little bit, just a little tiny bit less air than what we normally breathe, your CO2 in your system will now rise a little tiny bit beyond what's, what's normal for you. And it will actually feel a little bit like you're not getting enough air. But if you put a pulse oximeter on, you'll see you're, you're, you've got plenty of oxygen in there. What you're actually feeling is the increase in CO2 in your system that you're not used to. Now, imagine elastic band, okay? You can, you can pull on that elastic band and stretch it, which is fine. But if you stretch it too far, it snaps. And so when we're doing these Buteyko breathing exercises, um, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to stretch that elastic band, just breathe a little tiny bit less air than normal, just enough to get to get a, a, a change in the body. It's, it's called hormesis. Hormesis is an adaptive response, a, a healthy adaptive response. But if you, a little bit like going to the gym and lifting the right amount of weights, too many weights and you, you get injured, not enough weights and you don't have any gains. So, so basically we're, we're using this breathing over a period of four consecutive days. So people will come to me for a class 90 minutes each day we're doing a bunch of different breathing exercises and also a bunch of different information, a bit like what we're talking about here. So people can have more breathing awareness, but so they can also start to learn to tolerate higher levels of CO2. And in between each day, they go home and they practice the exercises for a certain amount of time, five lots of 12 minutes typically. So it's about an hour's dedication each day. Um, they come back each day and we see them for these four consecutive days. Then they go away for a week. I see them again while they've been practicing their exercises at home. And then they go away for a month and I see them again then. And during that kind of one to two month period of time, amazing things happen. People start to tolerate higher levels of CO2. They st and, and when they do that, that, they do that consciously, but then their unconscious breathing is actually then changing because they're now tolerating more CO2. So when they're asleep, they're breathing better. Do you have yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so I have a, um, a, a class that I that I take. I have it in two different ways. There's one way, which is just where people experience the breathing program. Um, so, you know, the, the consultation, then the four consecutive days, then a week later and a month later. That's kind of like how I would work with a breathing client virtually. But also sometimes health professionals do it because they want to know what it's like. But I also have another another. Um, series of courses where I talk about the stuff like lectures online where I talk about the stuff like I've been talking about today um, and it's over a 24-hour professional development kind of like uh, uh, series of courses if you like so it's a it's a, kind of a, a mini residency in breathing basically um, and in, in that I include the Wim Hof stuff that I that I'm I'm training in as well so I, I talk a lot about all the different kinds of breathing exercises and debunk the myths about them and things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it wasn't available virtually until, until COVID-19. And, and now the, the beautiful thing about all of this stuff, those human beings, as I've just been talking about, is we have adaptive responses. If we're present and conscious and we're able to, to kind of think about how can we adapt to this, we can adapt, right? So that's kind of what's happening right now in the world. Everyone's doing online and, and um, yeah, 
And so, so I have a several different ways of doing it. Yeah. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to take your courses, where would they go? Oh, so, so they can email me. Um, okay. Yeah. They, they can email me at Dr. Dan D at D R D A N at sleepy strip.com. Um, and, and um, yeah, they can contact me that way. And then I can, I can tell them about when the next intake is. Cause obviously for these courses, we have a intake. I think the next one is in June. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and there's, there's heaps of other courses that I like to speak at and so on, as you guys know, but that, that will be the whole breathing side of things. Um, but going back to the Biteco method, just for one second, I wanted to just sort of, um, say about that is that, um, pr yeah, Professor Biteco, he, the history of it, he, he sent Alexander Stalmatsky over to Australia, um, because he thought Australia would be a very friendly place to go and, and the medical people would accept it over here. That's kind of what happened originally. And Stalmatsky came over and he trained the guy who trained me and a bunch of other people as well. And he, he initially went straight to the, the universities because people, people ask, well, why is this Biteco not in the, in the medical community, right? It's a, it's a big topic yeah. of conversation. And this is what happened. And the medical community kind of, you know, this Russian guy comes over saying that he can fix all these people with asthma and things like that. And they all just sort of said, well, you know, on your bike, I, I don't want to listen to you sort of thing. And what Stalmatsky did... Um, sort of he was quite sort of bolshy really and he just went okay well forget you guys i'm going to go and do this myself and so he 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 hired huge com community halls in in uh, various places in sydney one in particular in bondi and this, this i wasn't there so i can't corroborate this but the story goes that you know they would have maybe you know 80 to 100 people in a room um all these people wanted to get off their asthma meds and things like that and Stalmatsky had trained a bunch of Buteyko practitioners, one of which was my my practice, my trainer, my mentor. And um, they would they would have these you know eighty to hundred people in a room, and they'd all be doing these crazy breathing exercises and getting many of them off their asthma medication. And you can imagine that how how um, how challenging or how annoying that would would be for the medical community. Um, and and this is the problem. This is the problem that of what <laughs> happened with all of this stuff is that it was very much a bottom-up approach to. Um, so rather than the professor, I mean, Buteyko was a professor, but but um, in Russia, so, but rather than the, a professor at a university here in Australia or America or somewhere having this kind of eure eureka moment and and then and then passing it down to his colleagues and and then it going through research and then going to in in the universities, it didn't happen that way. And so even though there's been really great research into the Buteyko method. Um, which I'd also love to talk about if we have time, but even though there's been really amazing research into it, it generally gets to that point where they say, yeah, oh, this is interesting, but we kind of need to do more trials. But of course, funding runs out because Biteco Institute has very, very little funding. I mean, I pay my registration every year, but they, they literally, um, they're, they're, they're running on, on, on fumes, you know, they, they don't have much money at all. So there's no, there's no funding for, for more research, unfortunately which is why I'm really happy with the Wim Hof Academy where I'm training at the moment because they're making lots of money because around the world, so many people are, um, are taking this on. There's lots of documentaries about it and so on. And as a result of the, the funds that they're making, they're putting it all into research, which is why I'm super excited about this, this whole group because there's research going on constantly. In fact, there's, there's a research project right now going on in San Francisco that had to get go on pause um, because of COVID-19, but that they're coming out with some really interesting information about the nervous system and about the fact that there's um, the nervous system is, is to some degree more under our control than what we originally realized. And, and that's kind of, that's what they're, that's what we're talking about here. And this is what we're talking about here with the Biteco method where, you know, people say, well, breathing is, it's not under your control. It, it, it is and it isn't like you can, you can alter how you breathe in any moment in time but you can alter your unconscious breathing by doing these exercises on a frequent basis. So it's really, really cool. Mm. So can we go back and just do some practice exercises? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So we can all try Let's do it that. out. Um, okay. So make sure that you're sitting um, comfortably. Um, Ideally on a sort of a normal chair, imagine like a, a kitchen, you know, like, like a, you know, a chair that you have at a kitchen table or in a restaurant. So that kind of chair where your legs are, can be at 90 degrees, your knees are bent at 90 degrees, sitting feet flat on the floor and come towards, come towards the front of the chair in what we call the horse rider position. 
So that like, like on a horse, if you sit too far back or too far forward, you'll fall off. Um, so you're sort of sitting on your sitting bones on the front of the edge of the chair, feet flat on the floor and hands nice and relaxed, just down on your, down on your legs. Um, but not sort of tense. So they're pushing your shoulders up, make sure your shoulders are down. So, and you're sitting upright basically on your sitting bones. Now for some people, so, and your mouth's closed as well. Now for some people who have serious breathing dysfunction, they're mouth breathing all the time. They're in a terrible posture and so on. This position alone will automatically, this is your first breathing exercise for someone who's really, really severe. Um, because to sit upright and to try and sort of engage the diaphragm and so on, which is what happens when you sit upright and keep the mouth closed, we're already starting to send the message to, brain, to the brain to say, everything is safe. Your diaphragm is working. Your diaphragm does not work when it's not safe. Okay, so everything's safe right now. You're in a nice posture. You're relaxed. And potentially your, your minute volume, the volume of air that you're breathing right now, potentially is less than what it was a few moments ago. So that's exercise number one is like just getting in that position. Um, now what I want you to do is to put one hand on your chest and one hand just underneath your rib cage. So not, not quite your belly, your diaphragm is just underneath your rib cage, just underneath the rib cage there. And just get a sense of which hand is moving most when you breathe or if both are moving the same or whatever. And whatever it is, that's totally okay. Um, and now let's just see what happens if you open your mouth and take a normal sort of normal size breath in through your mouth. See what hand moves more when you breathe through your mouth versus through your nose. Okay, so when you breathe through your mouth, most likely your chest would have started to engage breathing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's another another exercise for people who are mouth breathing is just to learn to nose breathe and to breathe more with the diaphragm and just have the diaphragm awareness. Now, when we start to have diaphragm awareness, some people will actually start to hyperventilate or overbreathe because they try to move the diaphragm too much. And they also try to move the diaphragm often with their abdominal muscles. And it's not actually the diaphragm that's moving. So what I now want you to do is just nice and relaxed. You're in this nice posture. I want you to imagine a blue ball of light going in through your nostrils, going down to your diaphragm and just very gently moving your diaphragm. So as the blue, as this air, this blue ball of light goes down through the nose and to the diaphragm, the diaphragm is just responding by just letting, it's, it's almost like the air is going into the diaphragm. Of course, it's not the air's in the lungs, but this, we're just trying to get a, a bodily sense for the feeling now. So now when you're breathing through the nose, your diaphragm is just moving a tiny bit. It shouldn't be a lot because we're not asking you to breathe a lot here now. Okay, now what I want you to do is to get a sense of how much air is going in and out through your nose when you breathe. So over the next maybe three breaths or so, just get a sense of you're not even trying to make yourself breathe right now. You're just letting let the body breathe you. That's an important one as well. Just let the body breathe you. You're not doing anything. You're letting the body breathe in you, but you're becoming aware of the breath and you're becoming aware of how much air is going in and out through your nose. Now that you're aware of how you're breathing right now in this moment, what I want you to do is just take ever so slightly less amount of air in through your nose than what you normally would. Ever so slightly. We're not talking like a half breath here. It's almost like a 90% breath if you like. But again, it's still nose and it's still towards the diaphragm and you're still relaxed. And keep repeating that. What you should be feeling or what you might be feeling is a slight sensation of not getting enough air or a thirst for air. Just know that right now in this moment, you are getting enough oxygen and you're getting enough air. What you're feeling right now is an in increase in carbon dioxide in your system. And your body is saying to you, so keep, keep it up, just keep going while I'm talking. But your body is saying to you, I would like to let this carbon dioxide go right now because I'm not used to it. And my normal breathing is such that my, like basically you're passing your trigger point for CO2 right now. And what we're doing is we're stretching that elastic band that I talked about earlier just a little bit. And you're just going to try and maintain this. Now, if anything at any point is really uncomfortable or you feel anxious or it's painful, Go back to normal breathing, lips closed, breathing through the nose, but uh, go back to normal breathing and allow your body to just breathe you again. 
Okay, it may be that you just went a little bit too far in that moment in time. You stretch that elastic band just a little bit too much. So that's that's what's called. You can feel free to carry on doing that while we're talking or, or stop if you want. But that's what's called reduced breathing in, in the Buteco um, method. Um, and by if we if you were to do that for, say, five minutes right now, that would be that would be one round of reduced breathing. Um, and in the Biteco method, we would follow that up with various other uh, breathing techniques and so on and, and things like that. But, but basically, that, that's, that's essentially, that's the main therapy for Biteco breathing. Like if you're someone li listening to this and you have asthma, you have sleep apnea um, or even just snoring or whatever, and you do nothing more than just go home and sit for um, uh, five minutes every day, and do or several times a day for, for, for a week or two and you do that exercise alone most likely your breathing will change on some degree on some level um there's more to it than that of course but in the time we've got that's 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 the main therapy for that's the main adult therapy the children's exercise is different don't do this exercise with children um they, they won't generally they won't do it correctly they don't have that body awareness we have a different exercise where we make the kids walk around the room while holding their breath it's a certain type of exercise for kids but this is the adult therapy, and this is what I would use for someone with sleep apnea or asthma if they're an adult. Yeah, that's really cool. So, like you said, multiple times a day, but is that also like a good way to like wake up in the morning and also really good like before you go to sleep at night? Totally, absolutely. So, if you were a, if you were a breathing client of mine, I'd be saying to you, make sure you do this um, before you go to bed and, and on waking. That would be the two times that you've got to do it, and the rest of the times you just got to find a few times during the day to do it. So when I was doing it, one, I want you to make a because <laughs> I think I could fall asleep to it. It would treat my insomnia. Um, but the second thing was like, I mm. really struggle to do yeah. meditation, but that felt amazing. That felt as good mm. as meditation yeah. and I could actually yeah. like, follow it. You know, what was happening right now, just then in your system, is your CO2 was up, your oxygen was being released like really effectively, released from hemoglobin, getting to your muscle cells, your nerve cells. You may have felt a warming in the end of your, your, your fingers or, or your toes, and that's because your periphery is opening up because of the CO2 um, a vasodilatory effect. Um, you know, you may have felt warm and all nice and everything, and yeah, any, but it's interesting. Anything concentrating on the breath will take you to that more meditative space. The Wim Hof method is almost like the opposite breathing to that. And, and yet um, I can get into a super meditative space after doing my Wim Hof breathing. So the, the breath changes physiology immediately in a real time, on a real time basis. Like it's affecting your pH just, you know, immediately. Now, of course, pH is always checked. It doesn't shift dramatically because the body doesn't allow that to happen. But it's, it's changing the, the tendency towards either lower or higher and it's just amazing to, to immediately change physiology of the whole body. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So we're obviously going to have to learn about the Wim Hof. So Dan, we may have to make this a two part episode here eventually. So bring you back so we can learn about the Wim Hof. Cause now I'm like super curious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, but also, so, you know, how this ties into, so with myofunctional therapy, you know, that's what, that's what Kimmy and I do. That's so much about like what we're talking about. And like, it's also like really important for us to like reiterate how important it is to work with a team. So working with somebody like you, you know, and Donnie and what you guys do with your patients, um, you know, and how we train with breathing with our patients, the nasal breathing, the correct tongue posture, all of those things. So um, you know, is there any other ways that you think that like myofunctional therapy and buteco breathing can really complement each other? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, many people in the buteco Institute, actually, they, they don't really get OMT, right? So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm there, I'm there, I'm actually doing a talk for them, I think next month where I'm, you know, trying to sort of say to them, Hey guys, look, it's great working on the breathing, but you know, you got these people struggling to keep their mouth closed, not just because of the breathing thing. And that's mm -hmm. actually a really interesting point. If I've got just a moment to talk about it, it's something I'm, I'm really fascinated by is that, so you've got this patient mm -hmm. who walks in and they've got their mouth wide open and their mouth breathing, right? Well, that could be someone who is finding it hard to tolerate CO2. And so they've got their mouth open to enable them to breathe a bigger volume of air, or it could be someone who has, 
a muscle thing with lip incompetency and mm. or it could be both and so what i really like to do in a patient like that is i'll say to them okay hold your lips together or if they can't hold their lips together i'll, I'll put one of my sleepy strips on them and, and, and tape them together for for a minute or two um wh while watching them of course and uh, it's very interesting because someone who has a reasonable co2 tolerance in that situation they can hold their lips together for forever like without any problems they can breathe through their nose perfectly comfortably um whereas someone who doesn't have a co2 um, intolerance and it's more just a, a lip incompetency type thing um, you know they, they they need to work more on their lip incompetency than they do on their breathing at that moment in time if that makes sense mm -hmm. um, so the, the key for the practitioner is is to really mm -hmm. diagnose and work out you know if someone's mouth breathing well is it a, a co2 intolerance is it a lip incompetency or is it both or what what's the mo what's the biggest priority and then kind of work on that so they do complement each other really well and um, so the way, the way OMT people can, can really start working with, with, um, with the breathing is really, I think is to get educated themselves. Like I, I don't think it's, um, it's actually not super complicated. Um, the exercise I just showed you just then is not, not complicated. And then I suppose in theory, if I was, um, I don't know, maybe I'm a different generation or something, but what I've seen out there is a lot of people trying to keep education to themselves and to yeah. not share it and to say, if you're not part of this association, you must not be teaching that exercise or this exercise. And that, that I'm trying to put an end to that. Like, like I, I, I don't I want that, that to be, like, let's, let's stop that. Like I, 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 um, you know, I'm qualified in the Biteco method and I, I do like it if, if people are going to say they're using the Biteco method, I, I like to make sure that they are actually qualified in the Biteco method, but you can be a breathing trainer and you can be giving the same exercises pretty much, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of, let's not like, let's not hoard things to ourselves and let's share stuff. So I think what needs to happen is that anyone doing OMT, that those people who understand OMT, they, they all understand about breathing and breathing function or they're certainly interested in it and um they can learn simple exercises like one of the ones i just showed you and, and other things um and they can start giving those to their to their clients and and perhaps perhaps what they need to do though is to is to just be aware of some of the more complex cases and they're the ones where you'd want to be sending to a a more experienced breathing educator but mm -hmm. anyone can be a breathing educator let's just let's get that clear anyone can educate people in breathing um, and those complex cases, for example, might be, say, someone's on a lot of asthma medication and you want to know how to slowly and gradually bring them off their meds. Um, because, by the way, Ventolin makes breathing function worse. It's, it, it's, it chem its chemical structure is the same as, is the same as uh, adrenaline. Um, so it ups, it ups the respiratory rate and volume. So what it will do is in the short term, it will open up the airways, which is, which is essential at the moment in time when someone's having a, an asthma attack, of course. Um, the airway needs to be opened. But by using it regularly, you're not going to improve breathing function. You're going to make it worse. And interestingly, the, the steroid inhalers, they actually make breathing better. They reduce inflammation and reduce the minute volume. Um, however, of course, there are downsides to having steroids long term as well. So, right. so, so say you've got someone like that who once they get off their asthma meds, mm. that's someone to be working with, someone who's done a bit more learning in it, um, like myself or anyone else from the Biteco Institute. Um, but... Uh, you know, people, older people with like um, on a lot of medications, for example, um, you know, be mindful of those. I wouldn't work too much with breathing with them um, without someone who's more experienced, because what can happen is when you start improving breathing and improving cellular oxygenation, um, you're, you're, the whole of the body starts to work more effectively. So say you've got someone who's on, you know, relatively high high dose medications for some kind of like liver problem or something like that or or some kind any problem basically um and then they start getting their cells and tissues more oxygenated better their ability to metabolize those medications can improve and so what then happens is they, they then need a lower dose and, and so right so it's like all, all these things so you know if someone's got a complex medical history maybe don't work too much with the breathing with them without getting advice from someone who's more trained but as far as patients go with you know with, with some some clear and obvious breathing dysfunction bit of snoring and sleep apnea those sorts of things let's start working on them let, let, let's let's make sure that people doing OMT are well trained in all of this and and um mm -hmm. yeah like there's not enough Biteco practitioners in the world to even give access so we have to we have to make this happen yeah yeah can I ask a question here Dan so 
being an anxiety bunny myself, you learn lots of like breathing techniques. I'm just curious from your scientific point of view, which ones would maybe be counterproductive. Uh, For example, the one I'm thinking of right now is you inhale as much as you can and then hold your breath. Yeah. Um, Okay. So certainly that's not, that's definitely not a be take exercise. um, That one, you know, so um, we never hold our breath on the in-breath in a be take exercise. That never happens. Um, But um, on a physiological level, um, holding on, on, a, on an in-breath like that is probably not great in the, in, for, for anxiety states, I would say. Um, you, you're actually doing a lot of work there. You're not relaxing to, in order to keep that breath held in. Um, so relaxing after an exhalation is, is, a, is a better way of, of doing that. I, I'm, I'm curious as to what, what kind of breathing method that came from. Um, is that okay? Okay. I'm not sure. It's just something uh, I came across as like a okay. coping mechanism for having anxiety yeah. attack. Yeah, it but will. Please don't do that. I mean, I'll give you an example of, of when I was with my mom it. who had a panic attack. Um, so for Mother's Day a few years ago, she wanted me to take her um, up the, the Q1, which used to be the, the, the tallest building in the in, in the Southern Hemisphere, but it's not. It's nowhere near anymore. Um, it's it's here on the Gold Coast. It's, it's not, not very big compared to some of the buildings you guys have got in America there now. And um, anyway, you can climb up it as, a, as an experience. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not dangerous at all. There are steps and you're kind of hooked into a carabiner and you're literally climbing up a staircase up, up a tall building. That's, that's what you're doing. And she has fear of heights and she's, you know, I, I don't. And she sort of said, well, you know, will you go on this with me? So I did. And we got near the top and um, she had a panic attack. And the, the person who was, who was taking us on that experience, like the person working mm-hmm. there, she did what so many people are trained to do, which is so bad in the state of a panic attack. She, she asked my mum. she said, okay, let's take some deep breaths together. And she was doing these really big, deep breaths with my mom. And I just, I watched it for a moment. I thought, I don't really want to get involved here if I can help it. And, but it, I watched mum getting worse. And I, and I just, I just said, I said to the girl, I said, look, can you please just stop for a moment? I'm going to, I'm going to do something with my mom. And I, and I sort of pretty much stopped her from, from, from doing what she was doing. And I just looked mum in the eye and I said, okay, Let's just take a nice big breath in and let's let it go. Relax. And after the exhalation, I want you to hold your breath. Okay. And she, she knew, she knew that I do this Biteco stuff. So she trusted me. She held her breath for a little bit after that exhalation. And you can imagine what that, so a nice big breath is, is a nice, nice reset for the, for the, the, um, the limbic system, um, for, and for the, for the nervous system. So big breath in, <sighs> let it go. That's a nice relaxed state there anyway. And now we're holding the breath to restore the CO2 because she'd been hyperventilating from her panic attack. So then mm. I said, wait for the need to breathe to come. And when the need to breathe mm. comes, let's do some nice, gentle and slow breathing through the nose, really slowly and gently and so on. And we did that. And then we did another breath hold. And then we did a little slow and gentle breathing again. And then we did another breath hold. And the whole time what we're doing is we're increasing the CO2, we're oxygenating, and we're taking away that whole tendency towards going dizzy and lightheaded and wanting to pass out, you know. Um, Mum felt great after about 30 seconds to a minute, and then we carried on with our experience. But had she have done what the, la- the lady told her to do, she would probably would have fainted up there, I think. Um, so, so yeah, uh, there is a breath hold in the Wim Hof mm-hmm. method, actually, but it, it, comes, um, it comes right after um, a... a, a pretty for a trained practitioner like me it comes after a two and a half minute breath hold so i'll hold my breath for about two and a half minutes um but the breath hold comes after a a, a few minutes worth of hyperventilation so um you know the breath holds there to restore the co2 after the hyperventilation basically so there are times when those kind of breathings can be good but not during panic attack or anxiety i would say yeah yeah Mm. Very good to know. Interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is. It is good to know. Um, So, the the um, I think that's it. Is that is that everything that we've we that we said we want we might talk about? Is there anything else I need to say? Or no, I mean, I mean, that's it's been like so much great information, Dan. We so appreciate you giving us all that information plus some exercises, and um, you know, I you know speak for myself, but Kimmy and I've talked about this too, but 
definitely we would love to have you back to talk Wim Hof because now I'm really curious the difference between the <laughs> two and like <laughs> you've got us you've got us thinking so um yeah and then you know one of the other big things that you've touched on this like really really briefly um but you also have a brand of mouth tape that you use for sleeping and so um you know the sleepy tape I haven't had a chance to try it. I tried to order it, I think, when it first came out, but it wasn't available in the U.S. yet. So um, that's kind of one of my big things that I like to do. Kimmy likes to try all the different things to unclog her nose, and I like to try all the different types of mouth tape. So <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us a little more about the sleepy strip before we before we let you go for today. <laughs> sure, yeah. So you can uh, you can look at it on sleepystrip.com. So that's S-L-E-E-P-Y strip.com. Um, you can order it in the States now. Uh, it's much better value for money if you order more than one at a time because of postage costs and things like that. And there's actually, um, uh, for COVID, we're actually doing a, a discount. So um, they come in packs of 30, which is a month's supply. Okay. Um, and um, if you buy six of them um, and you use the code uh, TAKEOFF98, TAKEOFF98, um, in instead of $128, including postage and package it's $98 um for that's for six basically a six month supply um yeah. so you can look online and, and see the website there and there's a youtube there's a uh, there's youtube channel videos and there's also a facebook page so sleepy strip as well um oh, cool. yeah I, I essentially invented that because we were using tape with my with uh, on my clients and i got sick of my clients looking at me like i was crazy when i asked them to tape their mouth um and, and also my wife was taping every night and she found that the tape over her lips, the sensitive lip tissue made it sore. So I made the tape to, uh, for less stickiness on the lips. Um, and also it's very, very adjustable and it's great at keeping the jaw forwards because it takes anchorage from the cheeks and the chin instead of from the, uh, the lips and the surrounding tissue. So it's better in those class two cases at keeping the, um, the mandible forwards. Um, so yeah. Anyway, please have a look at it. I forgot to mention yeah. it during the talk. But yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'm I'm excited to personally try it. Um, I'll actually probably go order it as soon as we're done here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I yeah, as you know, myofunctional therapists, we recommend mouth taping a lot, and I get the same looks and the same uh, like <laughs> questions as you do about it. I'm sure. So I always like to give patients, you know, what makes them the most comfortable. So I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited yeah. to try that. So um, cool. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so, so, so much again. Um, it's been great to have you with us. And well, yeah, we'll definitely have to, you know, chat about talking Wim Hof next time. So yeah, cool. I, I look forward to it. Um, yeah, can't wait. <laughs> and thank you so much for, for having me on as well. I really appreciate it. And um, hope all you guys out there are staying safe. And um, uh, I, I wish you all a lot of love and, 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 and health as well. Thank you. You too. We will be yeah. talking with you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.